Good afternoon. Welcome to the EAC More to Do podcast, uh, hosted by Vertigo Media here in Bohemia. I thank Lisa Mirable, an EAC board member and the owner and president of Vertigo Media for hosting this uh, very important podcast, uh, the More to Do podcast for the EAC network. I think every podcast is important, um, but I think especially today, um, uh, we have a very important message and we have a very special guest. It's uh, early September and uh, kids are back at school. So that means uh, kids, parents, and teachers uh, are aware that uh, their kids are in school. They're aware of the uh, pickup time, the bus time, the drop-off time, the sports, uh, the homework, uh, the supplies, everything else, the, all the stress that goes with uh, school. Um, but one thing I think that we need to talk about is how do we keep our kids safe uh, when they're in school? And I know it's a, it's a topic that um, you know, we may not want to talk about. Right, we may want to talk about uh, you know who my teacher is and and what sport I'm playing or or what times the bus bus is coming, but you can't talk about education uh, in today's world without talking about how do we keep our children safe. So with that said, I have two special guests. Bob Vecchio is the executive director of the Nassau Suffolk School Board Association, uh, a trusted friend here and a community leader here in Nassau Suffolk. Bob, welcome. Thank you, Bob, for having me. And uh, yeah, extremely important topic to talk about, and it's always a major priority for any governance team of a school district, the safety and security of our kids, whether it be security from a campus standpoint, uh, with some of the recent tragedies we've seen over way too many years and way too many incidents, or the mental health crisis that we're dealing with, or the safety issue of what we're going to talk about with regards to Aaron's Law. Sure, thank you. And also joining us is Karen Lemp, a community educator, family advocate of the EAC. Uh, she is one of our, um, as our president and CEO talks about, uh, one of our angels walking amongst us. Uh, her primary job, and I'll let her introduce herself, but one of her primary jobs, as I see it, is protecting Suffolk, Nassau and Suffolk County's children. So, Karen, thank you for being here, um, and please introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Karen, like Bob said. I've been the community educator for the Suffolk County Child Advocacy Center. We're in Central Islip, and we have a second location in Riverhead, actually. Um, since 2019, I've been there doing preventive education for youth, for professionals, and adults in the community. Also, I agree, it's a very important topic, so I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> no, we want, we, we, we want to hear it, and our listeners want to hear it. So what we're talking about today in particular overall um, how to protect children in in school-aged children in our public schools but one issue that that really you know comes to the forefront when you're talking about children and you're talking about you know placing your child in a school district for four five six eight hours sometimes longer right with yep. with pre with preschool with sports with all the extra activ activities that are going on is Aaron's law and in uh, August of 2019, New York State became the 37th state to sign Aaron's Law into legislation. Uh, so, Karen, can you talk about Aaron's Law and what that means? Yeah, so Aaron's Law, um, it's named after Aaron Marin. She's an abuse survivor and an advocate, obviously, for passing Aaron, Aaron's Law. And like you said, New York was number 37. So it was done 36 times before. And I think Ohio might have done it after us. Um, uh, so what it means is that every New York State public school has to provide students in kindergarten through eighth grade with child abuse and exploitation prevention curriculum. Um, going along with that, you know, it's also recommended that uh, staff get prepped as well, too. Um, 
in addition, involving your surrounding community members, because a lot of the messaging that goes along with Aaron's Law curriculum about student safety, really about personal body safety is what it comes down to, um, or messages that should be reinforced in a happy, healthy home. Um, so that's sort of the very short version of what Aaron's Law means. And the way that New York State passed the law is they pass it in grade band objectives. So they group grade bands K through two, three through four, et cetera, all the way up through eighth grade. And they provided uh, recommended bullet points for the districts to sort of touch on within that grade band objective. You're listening to the EAC More to Do podcast. Uh, thank you, Karen, for that brief explanation. I know we're going to get uh, deeper into this. Uh, the EAC network is a large social service not-for-profit serving Suffolk, Nassau, and New York City. We have 114 programs. And last year, we touched and served 65,000 people. Um, through uh, five pillars of service, children and youth, family and community, behavioral health and criminal justice, senior nutrition, senior nutrition services, and vocational services. Today, we're really talking about children and youth, and I'm proud to call um, our, our guest my friend, um, but really a, a trusted community leader uh, in Nassau and Suffolk County, Bob Vecchio. What, is, what does Aaron's Law mean to you? Let me take one step back. What is your role uh, at, as executive director, and, and how do you interact with the school districts? Yeah, so my association, we represent 109 school boards across Long Island. There's 124 school districts and one special act school district, Little Flower. Uh, and we represent 109 of those systems, which accounts for almost 94% of the students in Nassau and Suffolk County. There's about 420,000 students in our region. So I help support boards of education with regards to advocacy on a federal and state level and also offer workshop trainings and, and um, other items to help boards be the best governance teams they can be because an individual board member has no authority, no power. It's only to collective with the board of education working in concert with their uh, senior administration, with the superintendent of schools, that that forms the governance teams. And they're responsible to carry out Federal and state mandates, regulations, they're responsible for the local curriculum. They're responsible for the academic uh, achievements and, and improvements in their school systems. And, of course, they're trustees and fiduciaries of the funds that are spent in sure. each individual community. And boards of education are locally elected folks who uh, the communities put forward. Yep. They're unpaid elected volunteers. That's an important point to make sure people are aware of. Yeah, Board I don't members think, pe do I don't think people know that. Board members do this for free. We're a little yeah. crazy. I spent 18 years as a board member and 15 as a board president. Which school district? William Floyd School District wow. out in eastern Suffolk County, uh, one of the larger school systems in Suffolk. And, um, you know, every day there's something of, yeah. of a priority that pops up. And a lot of times you're dealing with crisis management. A lot of times you're just looking at your data to make sure that your school system is performing well so that your kids are prepared for the next steps beyond the walls of your individual community right. school, whether right. it be career or college, or a combination of either one. So, yeah. uh, as you've heard me say, our job is to make sure the kids are ready for the three E's, right? You're either ready for enrollment in higher education, ready to be employed in the trades, or be an entrepreneur, or be eligible to enlist into the military service, which sadly less than 1% of our kids enlist, and almost 70% of them aren't even eligible to enlist. So, we're responsible for the three E's as part of the governance teams. I've heard of the three R's. Um, but I, I, I arithmetic. yeah, yeah. Um, but I love the three E's. Can you talk, just expand a little bit about the three E's as your role as, as a leader in this community? Yeah. So, you know, we're always responsible for the outcomes of the quality of the education as delivered locally. We all have certain, uh, standards we have to meet on a federal level and a state level. There's certain standards that have to be met, but there's also some local governance and local control and local decision-making, yep. which is why you have locally elected, locally accountable boards of education to their community. 
And listen, as board members, we're responsible for really two things. Um, safety, security, and academic performance of our students and managing the funds yeah. as fiduciaries in a responsible manner that's accountable and transparent. We're the only local elected officials. We're the only elected officials that are mandated for training yep. every year. State officials, county officials, town officials, they're not mandated the training. School board members by law are mandated to finance training and roles and responsibilities training once you're elected. And we're the only unpaid elected officials that run alongside of our budget. You don't get to vote sure. on any other operating budget for any other government entity. You don't vote on a village budget, a town budget, county budget, sure, or state sure. budget, much less have those officials running alongside the budgets right. that they present. So it's a very interesting, unique role, but it is the closest grassroots democracy that is out there and the closest accountability to the local communities that they represent. Yeah. So, Bob and Karen, this is a question for, for you both. Uh, you both said in your brief introduction that uh, one of your missions is to, to care and protect students uh, in, in our public schools. How do we do that? Karen, I, I'll, I'll ask you first. And, and the second part, the follow-up to that question is, one, how do we do that? And how do we form a partnership with your organization to make sure that <clears throat> we can get the word out there of the important training that the EAC network provides? Sure. Well, not to throw another E on there, but I think it comes down to empowering kids. Um, so, you know, a lot of, you know, New York is number 37. The wheel's been invented for the curriculum out there for Aaron's Law. Uh, in fact, there's like a ton of wheels and they're rolling already. Um, you know, to me, it comes down to, to protect kids, you need to give them the right information, right? You need to give them information that's going to teach them, just like how you teach them how to look both ways before they cross the street to be safe. The ultimate goal is that they're going to be able to cross the street by themselves without you standing next to them one day, right? It's, it's very, so similar with personal body safety. Um, you know, teaching them personal body safety in a research-based way, because that curriculum is out there, like I said, um, and it's, you know, the state, what they did is they gave all these resource websites to check out. Um, one of the most powerful videos, though, that I think kind of gets more to the heart of this law that was passed is on Erin Marin's website, where she kind of goes into her story and why she's advocating for this law to be passed in every single state. And it comes down to what happened to her growing up and how she feels that if she had been educated um, and told like, hey, like it's okay and it's not your fault, no matter what happened to you, it's not your fault to get that message to kids along with the message of body safety and empowering them to say no when something makes them feel uncomfortable, let's say, um, or safe versus unsafe touches, you know, all of that gets wrapped up into age appropriate curriculum. What we do when we talk to kids about child sexual abuse, right? We talk to them about all different types of abuse, including neglect, right? Because the majority of cases are neglect, including physical abuse. When we talk about child sex abuse, the lead into that is we teach them about private body parts. And we say, okay, so your private body parts are for boys, the parts of your bathing suit covers front and back. And for girls, the parts of your bathing suit covers front and back. It's really important that no one ever tries to touch your private body parts because they're private, right? Yeah. If anyone tries to touch your private body parts, or if they tell you to keep it a secret after, or even if it's somebody who's supposed to love you and supposed to protect you, it's really important that you use your safety rule and go talk to a safe adult, right? It's really important that you do that because guess what? You deserve to feel safe. You deserve to feel safe. And no matter what they tell you, it's never your fault. We call it no blame, no shame. And this is for kids from K through eighth grade? It's That's the verbiage for K through five. 
um, it's similar verbiage that we use for middle school kids. Yeah. It's a similar lesson. They word it as no, go tell. It's a version of no, go tell basically say no, go to a safe adult, tell a safe adult. We also teach them, Hey, if that safe adult you told doesn't say anything and you still don't feel safe, you need to keep telling safe adults. You need to keep talking about it because you know from our safety rules that we're teaching you that it is never your fault and it's never okay to feel like that. So you're listening to the More To Do podcast hosted by Vertigo Media and we're, we're getting into some very, very important uh, topics and some touchy topics. So I, I apologize to the to our audience if, if some of this makes you uncomfortable. But I think it should. It right? should make it. It should because so, it's so wrong. So, Bob, from your from your uh, point of view, and, and you as a leader in our school boards uh, throughout Nassau and Suffolk County, what does this mean to you? What is you know uh, a, a trusted adult? What is a what is a mandatory report? Like, how does this affect your work with the school boards? Yeah. So, every school employee is a mandated reporter. Period. End of story. That that has been the case for a long time. What does mandated reporter mean? Meaning, if you become aware of an abusive situation for one of the students in your school system, you have an obligation to report it to the authorities. So, who, Which is who? Which would be more than likely law enforcement. Uh, the district has protocols as far as documenting an incident or a report and then taking it further. But ultimately, you're going to go to law enforcement and report. So-and-so said, whatever the case may be, that somebody may be sexually abused either by somebody in a school system or somebody outside of a school system. It doesn't matter. Once you become aware of somebody potentially being abused, if you're a school district employee, you could be serving lunch in the cafeteria, you could be the superintendent of schools, you could be the board president, you could be a teacher in a classroom, you have an obligation to report it. I think that's, a, that's an important distinction because it, I report it to my superior. Right. What if it's your superior that's sort of this alleged issue or, or what if your superior doesn't know what to do? So, right. So is it internal? Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes school districts will have key personnel as a point person, right? DASA sets standards for if there's incidents of bullying or sexual harassment, there's a key point person within the district that employees are made aware of. It's also sometimes will be listed as who you report to. Um, but again, as the employee, you bring it to your superior and say, this information came to me. Here's how it came to me. Let's start the documentation process. And as an employee, if the person is not, in your estimation, doing the right thing, then you go up the chain, right? There is union representation in a lot of cases. So this way, if there's a conflict between the employee who receives the information and their supervisor, let's say the supervisor is involved somehow or whatever, you have union backing that can then take it up to the channels to the highest levels, ultimately to the Board of Education. So ultimately, there is a process and a protocol that school districts have in place when information comes to light about a potentially abusive situation of one of their students or a sexual abuse situation with one of their employees as well. There's always a process and a procedure on how to handle these situations because school systems are mandated, obligated reporters to bring that information forward to law enforcement. Sadly, we had a situation in Suffolk County, a uh, very well-known situation, the Valva situation, where the school district in East Mariches, the teachers and the staff, they noticed that there was something going on with they these did the children. Right thing. They did the right thing. They tried to report it, yep. and, and it just didn't go to where it should have gone in a timely manner, and ultimately we dealt with that tragic situation. Yep. And that reinforced, I think, for a lot of school systems looking at that case, 
why awareness and communication and looking at protocols and, and the exercises on how you handle situations so important. And then on the other side of the argument, you know, you had the Babylon situation that we were talking about before we started, that there was a thing going on internally that was kept under the wraps and, and allegedly, 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 and, you know, things did not get reported. And even if they were tried to be reported allegedly, but ultimately school systems first priority, and this is, I, I don't care, any long-term educator will tell you the safety and security of students is first and foremost, and safety and security of students means a lot of things. Yep, yep. It means the security of your campus, right, to block out somebody coming in that doesn't belong there. It's the bullying situation, whether it's online, off campus, on campus. It's abusing situations between staff and students. It's like we talked about, maybe somebody in the school system is grooming a student and trying to do the wrong thing. Yep. Because sadly, there's a percentage of this population in our country that are predators yep. and they cross all forms of employment opportunities and situations. I know statistically the vast majority of predators or abusers are usually related somehow yep. to their victims, but sometimes you will find that the predator and the victim are in the same scenario yep. in a school setting. So school systems have an obligation and it's the right thing to do. And, you know, whether, again, whether you're working the lunch line in the cafeteria, whether you're a security guard in the hallway, you know, you touched on something earlier. Relationships is so critically important yep. to the success of any system. And until students feel safe and secure to have that uncomfortable conversation with a person that they trust, yep. that doesn't happen without the formation of a relationship. Right. And again, you could have the relationship with your classroom teacher, with your guidance counselor. It could be the security person in the hallway. It could be somebody that you're familiar with every seeing every day and they making outreach yep. on their part as professionals to make sure the kids feel safe. Well, Bob, I'm glad you said that. I think that's one thing that, that Karen uh, can speak to. Um, you know, you want to process in place, right? Uh, you want to make sure that, that the superintendent all the way down to the, the aide in the classroom is trained on what to do and, and what to look for. So, Karen, can you, can you talk a little bit about that in regards to mandatory reporting, what the, what the training the EAC network provides to these school districts, and how that, that training, how that putting that process in place can, can help? So you mentioned um, before, Bob, a stat. It's over 90% of the time. Over 90% of the time in, those, in child abuse cases, they know their abuser. It's, this is not like a stranger in a dark parking lot situation, right? 60% of that 90% is a family member. Um, to answer your question, though, directly, um, the state has recently issued a new mandated reporter training. Um, I'm not sure if everyone is aware, but all mandated reporters, so typically you only have to take this like once in your whole career, right? Usually for a teacher to get your certification, depending on the profession. Um it's a new mandated reporter training. All mandated reporters have to take the new version by 2025. We are uh, licensed facilitators of the mandated reporter training, and we recently got the new curriculum. So we provide that. It's a two to three hour training that we do for free, and it goes into uh, the red flags that a child might be being abused. It goes into the laws surrounding mandating reporting as well. Um, including the legal obligations uh, before, during, and after a disclosure or identifying child abuse red flags. It goes into how to report 
And it goes into the new version in particular has a big focus on preventive services, meaning a family needs help. Uh, they need help and it's not a, a report. Um, but the, the crux of mandate reporting is you as a professional have a reasonable cause to suspect that a child before you is being abused by someone legally considered to be a caregiver. Um, so that's also it. It goes into who is legally a caregiver too. This is, this is, it's scary, right? And my, my, I, I have chills thinking about it because I have kids in the school district and I, I have kids not only in the school district, but I have them in little league, right? I have them in soccer league. I have them in football. I have them in lacrosse. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm the parent here in Nassau and Suffolk County um, that, that you're, you're speaking to. You talked about red flags. Um, if you're a parent, if you're a regular Joe or Jane Smith, you know, living in Nassau and Suffolk County, what's a red flag that I should be looking out for? One that comes up, is like major behavioral changes. So you, as a parent or a caregiver, you know your kid best, right? You kind of know if like, maybe you have a naturally like shy, timid kid and that's just their personality and that's okay, that's great. But it almost seems like overnight they come in and they're fighting with you, they're fighting with authority. It doesn't always mean it's abuse, right? You never assume it's abuse. When I give a major report training, I really focus on, hey, there is no such thing as an all-encompassing list of red flags because what red flags are, is that's how a child is showing you the trauma they have been through or are going through. So there's no all-encompassing list, but you know, major behavioral changes, maybe that just means they need to talk to you or somebody about something that's happened to them. Um, another major red flag, again, depending on the type of abuse we're talking about, it could be, sometimes it could be hygiene issues, right? If we're talking about neglect. Um, for physical abuse, sometimes, um, you know, if they have marks on their body, of course, that would be a huge red flag. For sex abuse, one of the biggest red flags would be being asked to keep something a secret. A major part of, a common part of some of the grooming process that we've mentioned a few times already um, is someone will, you know, an abuser will say, well, this is our secret, you know, don't tell anybody or X or blank or you know, I'm going to go to jail. We'll both go to jail. You know, you'll have to move into a shelter. You know, your your mom or your dad won't have any way of providing for you or you'll be in big trouble or nobody will believe you anyway, right? So this is going to be our little secret, right? So one thing that we teach kids um, is secrets are never safe. Secrets don't let me know that you're safe. They're different from surprises. So there is the hard question to answer because there's so many yeah. different red flags, but those are the most common, I would say, you know, um, yeah. there's others too that are all listed like on the state website. You know, a lot of school systems right now, because again, we're, we're dealing with a mental health crisis with our adolescents that nobody has seen sure. to this magnitude. And, and it was growing at an alarming rate prior to the pandemic. And when I talk about mental wellness, I'm not just talking about victims of sexual abuse. I'm talking about the mental health of students for a variety of reasons. Right. And, School systems have been investing heavily in school psychologists, social workers at a, at a rate never seen before. Yeah. There's collaboration with community-based providers for mental health services. But one of the things that has come out recently and that school systems are starting to do with their professional staff is they're starting to train them to be trauma-informed, right? Because if you're trauma-informed, you may pick up on some of the very red flags that Karen was talking about. Yeah. And it could be trauma for a variety of reasons. We're talking about sexual abuse of students or school-age children by predators who prey on, on young kids like this, but it could be a variety of things. It could be domestic violence within the home with their sure. parents or whatever. So a lot of school systems are having their professional staff 
trained in being trauma-informed, number one, which is unheard of, really, in the education field. Trauma-informed has always been big in the mental health field yeah. for, for a long time. Uh, but they're also taking what we call mental health first aid trainings, right? And Mahaney's here in New York has been offering these services for free. So I see what your work is trying to do as a perfect segue for a complete package of trauma-informed mental health first aid training and the obligations under Aaron's law all fit into the same basket to make sure that as professionals within these systems, we have a heightened sense of awareness to spot out the yeah. kid that is struggling, right? Because I, I say all the time, you know, kids are going to act out silently mm. or out loud, yeah. or there's going to be a dramatic shift in behavior changes, right? And there is an indication of something going on. And, and any mental health issue that gets left untreated, undiagnosed, unrecognized will manifest itself in a much greater way as kids get older. Yep. You know, we have seen an increase in suicide rates among primary grade level students. Primary grade level, <laughs> we're talking elementary kids, has increased, like, I think the figure's like 120 or 140% over the last five years. You're, you're, breaking, you're breaking my heart. It's, it, it's sobering. Yeah. It's sobering. I was at a discussion recently with the commissioner of the Office of Addiction Services and Support Services recently, and we were talking about the dramatic increase in overdose deaths over the last several years, right? And and it's over 100,000 people that we lost last year, and many of them young people, 18 to 24. And I spent 32 years in the addiction field, and one thing I've learned is most of them have a co-occurring mental health disorder. Yeah. And it could be sexual abuse. So many women that suffer from addiction also have had sexual abuse in their history, whether they were younger or, or, or teenage. But what we see is 18 to 24, the figures go off the charts for overdoses, for abuse of uh, products with fentanyl and heroin. It just goes off the charts because if it's untreated at that yeah. school age level, it manifests itself in a very ugly, sobering way later on. So that's why preventive measures as early as possible, talking to kids about what is appropriate, what is not appropriate for people to touch you in certain spots. And let's not get this mixed up with this whole national political divide about, you know, gender and everything. You know, when we start talking yeah. education and curriculum about, you know, what's appropriate touching, you know, let's make sure it doesn't get mixed into this national divide argument that's sure, going on out sure. there. This is just practical common sense. Nobody should be, I, I love the analogy, whatever part of your bathing suit covers you up, nobody should be touching you there yeah. because it's not okay. Yeah, yeah. And you need to find a place where it's okay to report that if you're uncomfortable with it. Because if we don't address it sooner, it's going to manifest itself in a very ugly way later on. And again, we're losing way too many people either through addiction, through suicide. Again, just the addiction piece. Here, here's a quick analogy. Over 100,000 people were lost due to overdose deaths, right? Deaths, not just overdose. Overdose deaths. That's the equivalent of a full passenger plane crashing every day. Yeah. Oh, my God. If a full passenger plane was crashing every day and people were dying, don't you think we would totally turn the transportation system upside down and do it differently? Sure. Yes, but we haven't done that with regards to access to services for awareness, right. preventive, and treatment for mental health disorders. It's, it, it's, it's disgusting, in my opinion, that we haven't transformed it. Well, hopefully this is, you know, uh, step one in, in that uh, transformation that's what the EAC network does, right? Um, one of the things that one of our board members said is that we help people when they need it most. And that could be a child. That could be a, a teenager. teenager, That could be a parent who doesn't understand or, or know how to deal with 
you know, a, a child who has, you know, has these red flags or a child who says, Hey, listen, my, my music teacher or my, the cafeteria work or whatever the case may be is talking weird to me or touching me in a weird way or telling me I had the secret. Listen, I, I think as a parent, if my son said, you know, my teacher told me to, to keep a secret, I wouldn't know how to process it as a parent. So uh, this podcast is is not just for the teachers and, and, and the educators, but I think for parents. Um, you know, I, we, I've kept you guys here a long time, and I, I want to wrap up. We, we are talking about important things, so I want to give you both an, an, one more opportunity to to really say what's important and how do we move this forward. But I have one question for you, for you both. What is a myth about sexual, physical and sexual abuse? What, what are, I mean, we see it on TV, right? And, you know, but what is a myth? Bob, I'm going to start with you that you hear from this, from the school side. I, you know, I'm, I'm not expert enough to talk about what is a myth regarding that. One of the myths I think is that most school systems that'll fall on deaf ears when, when it's reported. And, and, and I could tell you my experience over the last two decades being involved in, in school board service and working and knowing so many uh, administrators is uh, that's not true. That's, a lot of, a that's lot of, good. That's a lot good of school hear. systems, you know, again, because when we're talking about the outliers of the people who don't do the right thing, they're a small percentage. If I tell you I have 98% compliance and I only have a 2% deficiency rate, that sounds really, really good. Yeah. But when you're talking tens of thousands of people, 2% is still a lot yeah, of people, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, one kid is too many. And one kid is too many. Right. But the vast majority of your school governance teams, your school professional staff, your school staff in general, care deeply and passionately about the children that they serve. That's great. And they consider them their kids, right? We often hear times, you know, people use as a punchline, it's all about the kids. You know, the naysayers about public education, because public education is under attack too. They, they use it as a punchline, it's all about the kids. Well, I got to tell you, for 18 years as a volunteer board member who put myself out there for election every three years and, and subjected myself to public accountability and transparency, it is all yeah. about the kids. And public education has the ability to change one person's life trajectory. You can take and break the cycle of poverty. You could break the cycle of abuse through the power of public education. Yep. And I will tell you, the vast, overwhelming majority of people that are involved in the school systems think that, believe that, breathe that every day, and they care deeply and passionately about their kids, and they want to protect those kids just as much as any parent would. What is, what's a myth? What's a myth that that uh, about physical sexual abuse about Aaron's law that that uh, parents and teachers and, and children should know? I think one of the most common myths that comes across is like the not in my backyard mentality. Like, oh, this wouldn't happen in our school. This wouldn't happen in our community. Um, that's one of the most common ones that I at least come across. And it's just sort of to combat it. We we sort of need to be like, well, okay. Um, it is preventive education, right? And the whole point is to build resiliency in kids. And yes, you know, sometimes when you go into a school and you do preventive education, some students may realize, something's been happening to me and I just realized this is, it's not okay. That might happen for most students though. This is about teaching them the tools that they need to grow up safely and not just survive, but to thrive, right? So that's 
that's what it comes down to, to, to bust that myth, I guess you could say. This is the More To Do, the EAC More To Do podcast. Uh, it can be found on our website, eac-network.org, and it can be found in, uh, anywhere that you have, uh, you know, your podcast search engine. So please uh, look at this, uh, our engine, search out this podcast. It's the EAC More To Do podcast. This is a very, very important topic. It's uh, obviously very timely as school opens up uh, this week. I'm going to ask you uh, each one more question. If you had it your way, right? This was Burger King um, back in the day. It was your way. What would you do? What are the three things that you could do to to further protect children from physical and sexual abuse? I'm going to start with Bob. Well, first and foremost, you know, I, I think school systems get it right more times than they don't get it right. So I would say continue to do what we have been doing. Acknowledge that you don't have to be bad to be better. Every system, as good as it is, could always be better with awareness, prevention. But resources have to align to make these things happen. And oftentimes we find that um, the resources to build that infrastructure. Yeah. Because it's one thing to raise the awareness, right? I'm never a big fan of the big assembly in the auditorium and sure. you have that one-off event and you can check off the box that you did it and you met your compliance. Sure. I'm more about making it part of the everyday conversation sure. so that it's it's automatic. It's it's almost like training as an athlete. You do the same thing over and over and over and sure. it becomes just body memory. Well, these conversations regarding sexual abuse for kids and making kids aware of what's fine and what's not okay, whether it be for sexual abuse, whether it be disruptive, destructive behaviors. And again, if I could have it my way, I would make sure that Every relationship in the buildings of our schools are solid relationships where kids feel safe. Yeah. Kids don't feel safe. There's a whole host of anxieties that kids are going out with today that we do have to address, and we have to do it different. You know, if I could have it my way, I would look at and sit down with the leaders, and this is what we are trying to do on the education side. I have superintendents sitting down with community-based providers and looking at how mental health services are delivered today yeah. and saying, look, We've been doing it the same way, the same methodology for a long time. This, what we're dealing with now is different. We need to approach it differently. We need to invest in it differently. You know, there's a thing, in addition to Aaron's law, there's a federal parity law that would hold insurance companies responsible to pay for treatment services after an issue happens so that you could get the person to being well again. But the, the insurance companies oftentimes deny access to treatment because they deny access to the resources to cover the treatment. Yep. And the federal parity law has never been enforced the way it should. So if I had it my way, insurance companies would treat mental wellness, particularly among adolescents, the same way they would deal with somebody that is a juvenile diabetic, or same, same sure. way somebody's going to a cancer treatment for a kid and say, we need to invest the same way on the front end and invest the resources and the infrastructure with preventive services, continue conversations and protocols for reporting back and making sure that all systems are operating smoothly for yeah. that warm handoff so that there's not these silos in these territories sure. that will break down the communication and break down an effective way of dealing with a very tragic situation sure. so we can avoid another situation like we saw a couple of years ago here sure. in Suffolk County. Sure. I, and I would also say, you know, thank you for the work that you guys are doing. And you have our commitment for a collaboration and a partnership because we're both in the same business yeah. for the performance and making sure that we have well-adjusted, productive citizens who turn adults after they leave our public schools so that they can be contributing members to society yeah. and continue to grow our region. Well, I thank you for saying that. Thank you for being here and sharing your insight. Um, 
speaking on behalf of the board uh, for the EAC network, um, we are we're in. Uh, we want to support the National Suffolk School Board Association. Uh, we want to protect children. We want to make sure that uh, that uh, kids are safe. We make sure that they're educated, and I know that they can't be educated if they're not safe. Yeah. Karen, uh, you you're in this world. You see it every day. Um, what 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 would you do if 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 you could have it your way? What what are the two things that you can do to make it make a ch- positive change to protect children from physical and sexual abuse? Well, first, I would I think it would be just amazing if all mandate reporters were required to take a mandate report training every single year. Um, more than just what's required for their profession, more than just the new mandate reporter training that everybody has to take anyway. Um, and not just require a training, but also bring in support too. Yeah. We do a fantastic training where I go in with someone from special victims unit, with someone from child protective services or social services And we actually go in and we do like a refresher course where we talk about the mandate reporter obligations legally, of course, too. But we also talk about, okay, just as a reminder, these are red flags. These are why they're red flags. What do you do if a child discloses to you? And those two other disciplines, they talk about, well, in a school specifically, how can you support the team that might have to respond to the school and then speak to a child. We do a great training that that is like, and is a great support too, because then you get their phone numbers. You know, if you ever have a question as a major reporter in a school, you can call them. You can call me. Uh, the CAC is meant to be a community support as well as a, a reactive su- response to active investigations. Um, so that would be the first thing is education of school staff, because school teachers, I mean, how you can probably think back and remember your elementary, middle school, or high school teacher's name, right? They have an impact on you. They have an impact on your childhood for a reason. So that would be the first thing. The second would be finding a way that you as a professional or a community member, no matter what your role is, how can you build resiliency in your child and other children around you? And sometimes we call them protective factors. Sometimes that's done at an individual level. Maybe your role is, hey, uh, making sure their self-confidence is built up growing up, right? As a parent or a caregiver, how can you do that? Is that something you want assistance with? Or maybe at a community level, can we get them involved in sports and after school clubs? Um, you know, town, town boards will sometimes have different youth programs going on. How can we build resiliency in them that way? So they know that there are people out there that care what happens to them. So no kid falls between the cracks. So that would be the two most important things, you know, educating the school staff and faculty, and supporting them as well too, not just giving them the education, but supporting them beyond after and educating and building resiliency in the children. Karen, I love that answer in regards to training and support, right? It can't just be about training. It's got to be about support. Um, thank you so much to uh, to you both here for being here. I know you have a very busy schedule, uh, but this is a very important topic. Uh, Karen is our uh, community educator at the EAC Network. Um, one of the places that she works, although it's all over Suffolk County, is the Suffolk County Child Advocacy Center at the Pat and Mary Bagnano Place for Kids. That's in Central Islip and Riverhead. Uh, really, the Child Advocacy Center, the Child Advocacy Center with the EAC Network. Uh, the division director is Andrew Ramos Topper. Every single day, we're trying to protect kids. Uh, I can't say it enough. So thank you to the CAC. Thank you to Andrea. Thank you to Karen. Uh, Bob, thank you for your help and service, uh, your your volunteer service, as you said, uh, but really for your leadership in not only educating Long Islanders, uh, but protecting Long Island kids. Thank you so much. This is the EAC More To Do podcast hosted by Vertical Media. Uh, go to our website, uh, eac-network.org. 
uh, or anywhere where you uh, have your podcast. You can search uh, the More to Do podcast and listen, like, and share. Thank you so much.